All right. Hello. Hello, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Happy doing this evening, my friends. I think we have got everything hunky-dory from a technical standpoint. The House of Cards is currently northwards of the North Star, and we are ready to roll and stroll. We have our new coffee cup. Just give me coffee, and no one gets hurt. Well, except the bad people, which is kind of what we want, right? So, yeah, I hope you are doing well this evening. Let's do a quick meet and greet before we start. We're live. Hello, Mill Sean. Hello, Molly Pills. Nice double. Thank you very much. Still following Bitcoin charts. I'm like a top at the gay bar looking for the bottom. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're going to be heading up from here. I do. I do. I do. I think we will be heading up from here. Hello, Hamid. Hello, Roger Skysled. That's a good name. Hello, Akeem. Hello, A.V. Scott. Hello, Luminous Bluebird. Talk more about what you think about Alan Watts. Oh, boy. Hey, James. How you doing? And uh, who else do we have? Who, who did I miss? Barbara. Yeah, sorry. And now, here's the funny thing, right? Oh, are we stuttering? Uh, just a little bit. Oh, well, I've got a local recording here, so we'll go from there. I can't actually use this super good new mic. I'll have to do it in post-production. Isn't that strange, right? Isn't that strange? I have to use this blue Nessie mic from way back in the day because uh, it nothing <laughs> nothing recognizes the new, the new stuff. Uh, well, actually, no. Um, voice recording software does, but uh, video stuff, not so much. Anyway, neither here nor there, just the usual crap. And uh, what's on your mind this evening? I have... Have I ever dated an older woman? I have. In fact, I dated a woman who was seven years older than I was. I was 32. She was 39. And the relationship didn't work out because I said I was just coming out of therapy. And I was like, I'm just learning how to be myself properly. And we got to jump straight into kids because the clock is ticking. And yeah, she was, you know, it's funny. I'll tell you. This woman, I actually, I met her in a restaurant. And it was a you know, the cool pickup, I suppose. So uh, I went into um, a restaurant to pick up some food that I'd ordered. And I saw her sitting there. And I thought she looked smart and funny and cute and all that, which she was. And uh, I said uh, to her, leaned over to her and I said, hey, I, I'm eating alone. You're eating alone. Why don't we just eat alone together? And so we sat and chatted, ended up going out for a little while. But, uh, yeah, she had some, uh, I mean, she's a very attractive woman, and she had some high standards. And look, having high standards is great, but it has to be somewhat relative to what you're bringing to the table. And the fact that she was pushing 40, I wasn't like I was expecting her to do my, you know, to, to trim my nails or anything like that. But I guess I just kind of thought, that's a whole lot of high and mighty, and do you measure up to my fine standards for somebody who's kind of pushing 40 and all of that. So it ended up not uh, not particularly working out. But I'm glad I dated her. It was a fun relationship. Didn't last very long. Um, so what else have we got here? Our great mentor. Actually, I think that's pronounced Mentos. Because if you take a bite of my head, uh, it cures bad breath. All right. I sound good? Excellent. Uh, I love... Let's see here. My girlfriend is 15 years younger. Well, that either means she's super mature or 
You know, I'm 23 and she's 29. Conservative, but English isn't the first language. Any advice? So 23 and 29 is not so bad. I mean, she's still got a decade for, for kids and all that. So that's fine. Uh, just watch your peaceful parenting interview. So you have a more thought out response as to why women hit kids. Uh, yeah, we can get to that. We can get to that if you like. Uh, let's see here. If Canadians want reductions in immigration so badly, why did Maxime Bernier do better in the last election? Because we don't have a functional and functioning media in the West uh, at the moment. Certainly not in Canada. Like we do not have a functioning and functional media because the media should be pushing back against government narratives, holding truth to power. The media is supposed to be one of the counterweights to expansions of government power. But ever since the internet came along and people like me and my prime were taking eyeballs away from the media, the media did two things. They deplatformed us and they ran to the government for money. So now um, all media is government media, more or less, uh, in most of the West. And of course... The number of leftists in the media, I mean, it's basically all of them. And so when a politician comes along who goes against what the left wants, then what they end up doing is just demonizing that politician. I mean, you saw this obviously with Trump, you see it with Maxime Bernier. They just demonize that politician to the point where the vast majority of people uh, think that he is a terrible guy and to support him is really terrible and they don't do their own thoughts. They'd, and then what happens, of course, is that people say, well, gosh, I, I want some conservative values. And if I vote for the guy demonized by the media, I'm going to waste my vote, right? And, and then if I waste my vote by voting to the guy the media is demonizing, even though he has more conservative values than I want, then he doesn't get in, the conservatives don't get in, and you have NDP or liberals or the Green Party and so on, they're just going to be a million times worse. So it's just, uh, it's the way, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just the way that, that politics work. And we don't have uh, a media that pushes back against anything. I mean, it's reading this really interesting article about how it was basically two dozen researchers and amateur sleuths that uncovered the Wuhan lab's origin of coronavirus. I mean, I did my own little bit back in the day, uh, early last year, um, with, with interviews and with presentations. Uh, there's one called The Case Against China you might want to check out. But these guys really dug through just about everything that you could possibly think of when it came to uncovering the origins of uh, SARS-CoV-2. And, you know, they were, they were digging through, uh, oh, they published this paper here, and then there was this mention of this gene sequence here, and that, like, they just really stitched everything together to the point where the Chinese government was taking scientific databases offline, like, anybody with half a grain of truth on social media being deplatformed. And that's really wild. Now, of course, this is the job that the media should have been doing. This is the job that, of course, intelligence agencies should have been doing, but they're too busy imagining and hunting down fake white supremacists and so on. So we don't have, I mean, it's just a reality. We don't have a functioning media. The, the media in its horror and recoil from online media personality platforms such as mine have simply rushed into the arms of the state and we have no independent media. We have no independent 
academia. We have very little independent judiciary, I think. And so, yeah, that's just that's just where we are. All right. Bitcoin on my mind for sure. People feel uh, feel like even regular people are realizing inflation is real. I try to tell people about Bitcoin. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Stefan, do you think that wealthy but physically unattractive men should have high standards? Well, sure. Of, of course. My dad is rich. <laughs> your dad is rich and your mama's good looking. Right? That's, that's the old song, uh, Summertime by Gershwin. Yeah, of course, because money is the boobs of men. Right? <laughs> money is the boobs of men. Uh, a woman has an excess of fertility but a deficiency of resources. And a man has an excess, an excess of resources, but a deficiency of fertility. And so the man trades his excess resources for the woman's excess fertility, and thus the human race continues. And so that's kind of the way it is. And of course, in a free society, women are highly dependent upon men for years and decades, when their kids are young, when they're raising kids, and so on. And so that's just how it, uh, how it rolls. So I hope... That makes some kind of sense. But yeah, you, you can have high standards for that. Uh, I dated a woman 10 years older. I was 24 and she was 34 at the time. I wasn't ready then. Yeah, well, it depends. So 34, right? So the big question is when you meet a woman who's in her 30s, how are you still single, right? How, how are you still single? It's like if you see a really, really great car secondhand that's really cheap, <laughs> It's like, okay, maybe it's the deal of the century. Or maybe there's another reason why the car is being sold and the owner knows something that you don't. A woman in her mid-30s has been dating for 15 years. Yeah. And either she's chosen men that she's broken up with, in which case she's a bad judge of male character, or she's a good judge of male character and has been dating positive and functional and healthy men, and they've dumped her ass very quickly, right? So, or, or even very slowly, but nonetheless, they haven't sealed the deal with her and committed for the life. So either she's a bad judge of male character, or men are a good judge of her bad character. That's really the only two possibilities. Now, I met my wife in my 30s, and we've been married close to 20 years, and it's really, really a joyful union and so on. It could happen. So I'm not saying never, right? I'm just, this is, but this is the exception that proves the rule. The question is, a woman who's 34, why, why is she single? And I say, ah, but there's a man who's 34. It's like, yeah, but the man is gaining resources. He's gaining wisdom. He's gaining maturity. He's leaving the youthful excesses behind. He's got more money. Uh, he's, got a, he's, he's a proven professional success or not success or whatever, right? But you could gauge him by actual empirical track records rather than cross your fingers, hope, that his brain is as hot as his abs or something. So a man in his mid-30s, yeah, he's gaining in value. A woman in her mid-30s is sharply declining in value. And the question then is, why are you single? Why are you still single? At the time when you had your very highest sexual market value, right, 18 to 28, right? During the 10 years, you were at your absolute peak, massive value, unbroken heart, unsullied limbs and loins and mind, <laughs> you know, no no tired scotch tape, broken down bonding scenarios, right? No lack of trust, heartache, heartbreak, you name it, right? During the 10 years, 18 to 28, man, you were at your peak value. 
you couldn't find a buyer? You, you really, you couldn't find a buyer? Could happen. Why not? Why couldn't you find a buyer when you were at your peak in value? Uh, if you are such a great value, why didn't someone snap you up? If the house has been on the market, right? It's the old thing, right? What's the beginning of every horror movie? This house has been on the market for, oh, three or four years. And, you know, it's half the price of the other houses in the neighborhood. And the rumors are that it's haunted. And all the guys are like, ah, I don't believe in no ghost. I'll take it. It's a great deal. It's like, okay. It's really cut price. It's been on the market for years. Nobody's bought it. What's wrong with it? Again, could be the deal of the century. You might be the luckiest guy around. I was when I met my wife. But that's not the odds you should play. Now, what's also very strange, of course, is, and this was my experience dating an older woman, is that the older woman is often like, you know, has I've got really lofty standards and I, I know what I want and, and you better do this and you better have that and you better be six foot two and you better have this income and you better have this education and all these things, right? Well, that's delusional, right? That's delusional. Because a man can be broke and really good looking and still demand X, Y, and Z. But if a woman is in her late 30s, then the, basically the thing that she's providing to the next generation, which is fertility, is almost gone. And again, if you don't want kids, it's a whole different matter, and we'll get to that in a sec, but no, it's a, it's a bad call. Because often what happens is the woman who's been left on the shelf for years is just raising her price, you know? <laughs> well, nobody wants to buy this house at $300,000. I know. I'll push it to $400,000 or $500,000. And then you get this bizarre spectacle of a woman in the truly fading years of a sexual market value just cranking her price higher and higher and higher in the hopes that, what, you think she's got all of these terrifically high standards that are going up? It's like, what, were they really low when you were young and had your maximum value? Anyway, it just shows a... Uh, a, um, uh, can you riff on the topic of discernment? Uh, maybe, but you'll have to zero in on it a little bit more. The great slowdown is real. Computers at fast food places took like six minutes to process. Oh, yeah, I went into a McDonald's the other day, and uh, of their eight touchscreens, uh, one was working. Yeah, yeah, we are, uh, we are apes in the cathedrals of brilliant people, my friends. It's all slowing down. Let's see here. Yeah, strategic voting. Ever, uh, yeah, for sure. you got to read Brian Kaplan. I had him on my show years ago, Brian Kaplan, B-R-Y-A-N-C-A-P-L-A-N. I uh, wrote a great book called The Myth of the Rational Voter. It's really, really good. Uh, were there any cultural differences between you and your wife? Were there these ever challenging for you? I mean, we don't have the same beliefs all, all told. I mean, that would be crazy. I don't want to date a short, <laughs> curvy mirror. That doesn't make any sense, right? So, I, no, not, 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 I mean, she, she's raised uh, and, and trained in the scientific method and statistics and, and math, and she's very sensible and, and logical and rational, and so, you know, we, we, we find our way through to whatever answers are in line with philosophy uh, fairly, fairly easily, so. 
Uh, do you think Cosby should be locked up for his predatory behavior? Well, it seems to me, and I did a whole presentation on this, you can see the truth about Bill Cosby, but I did have the general sense and or feeling that drugging women before you have sex with them, that's not good. That's not good. It is kind of like an alpha thing, though, right? So uh, Bill Cosby was such, I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, for the younger people, you don't know just how big. I remember being on a plane, God, when I was six years old, and watching a film with the very young Bill Cosby. Oh, gosh. It was a Neil Simon California suite, I think it was called. And I remember thinking, like, he's really funny. Oh, he's really good. Or really, he played, I think he played a hyper competitive guy or whatever. And Bill Cosby was like everywhere. I mean, he was, uh, the, the, was the, the original, I don't know, the, the Hood Cosby show with that creepy kid who had the eyes coming out of his toque or whatever. It's like, as a cartoon. Uh, he was there. He was saw comedy albums were all over the place. My mom had a couple of comedy albums of Bill Cosby. I listened to quite a bit when I was a kid. His books were everywhere. Then there was the Cosby show. He was in movies all the time. I mean, it was just crazy. And he would go on these comedy tours that just last forever. And I remember Jerry Seinfeld saying, you know, he just sits there and riffs for like two hours on various things. And people have no idea how hard that is to do. And he just does it kind of effortlessly and so on. So Bill Cosby was like a true cultural phenomenon. And in some spy TV show in the 60s, he was like the first black guy to hold a gun with a semi-leading role and that kind of stuff. And I mean, the man was a true cultural icon. So with that level of fame worth hundreds of millions of dollars and, and that level of prominence, you know, when you offer some hot young thing, I'm going to be your acting mentor, I'm going to be acting tutor. Oh, he was also in commercials, right? All this stuff, right? So the women go, oh, you seem tense, have a drink. And, you know, the women claim, of course, a lot of them that they passed out and they woke up and they were paralyzed and so on. So, yeah, it's... It's, it's such an imbalance of power when you're that big, that famous, uh, that talented. Uh, then, of course, a lot of hungry women want to get into the movie industry. They want to get into the entertainment industry, and he's going to mentor them, and he's going to... So, you you know, you invite him over, and uh, you invite the women over, and then it does seem to be the case that uh, at least the women claimed that, that he gave them something in their drink. I think, you know, you seem tense or whatever. And so, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Now, of course, the whole point of society, at least in the past, the whole point of society was to prevent this stuff from ever coming to pass, right? When it comes to he said, she said, well, he said it was just uh, this drug, and it turned out it seemed to be something more, and I was alone with him in his house, and then I woke up, and he was on top of me, and uh, I, okay, well, there's no witnesses. There's no witnesses, which is why police have to kind of get a whole bunch of women to describe their experiences without talking to each other, which I don't think was the case with the John Gomeshi case. But the police have to get a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of women, and they look for these sort of patterns of similarity in, but of course, with social media, they could have read someone else's account, they could have whatever, right? I think there's sometimes collusion that happens between the women to make sure their stories line up and so on. So they look for these kind of particular patterns of behavior. And when there's enough of these patterns of behavior, then maybe they can make a case and all of that. So, uh, but when men and women are alone, I mean, obviously, if the woman is beaten up, she's got a black eye, she's got a split lip, her vagina has injuries, like whatever. If the woman is injured uh, and, and you know, staggers out and, and she's got semen in her vagina or in her uh, anus or whatever, 
okay, well, then you've got assault, you've got, but, but this kind of stuff where it's like, I woke up and I just didn't like it and it was bad and there's sometimes the regret accusation or uh, I was maybe a little bit too tipsy or uh, gosh, I, I think I was passed out or, you know, there's no proof as far as I can tell of any of this stuff. I guess maybe if you went directly, you got your rape kit, you got your blood drawn and, and you weren't Tiger Woods and they checked for intoxicants or whatever. But the whole point of society was to completely prevent this stuff from happening. This is why men and women had to get married to have sex. This is why women would not go to a man's house on their own. This is why there were chaperones. This is why when a woman was in college, she had to keep uh, uh, at least one foot on the floor and the door to her bedroom had to be kept open. Because everyone knows you put men and women in isolated, no witness situations, they're going to come out with different stories. And it is really impossible for justice to be done on a he said, she said situation. And now with social media, the congruity and stories of the various victims becomes more suspect. As I said, I remember looking into this in the John Gameshi case some years ago, and there seemed to be some pretty bad stuff going on with that. So do I think Cosby should be locked up for his predatory behavior? Well, I haven't. Obviously, I did a presentation, but I'm not on the jury. I didn't see all of the evidence. I didn't go over everything that happened. But I do believe that one aspect that was missing, of course, was eyewitness accounts and physical corroboration of the claims. That's really tough, man. You don't have any kind of um, direct evidence of one side or the other. It's it's kind of, you know what it's like? It's like two people suing each other for breach of contract when there is no contract. And one of them says, well, he agreed to pay me $10,000. And the other guy says, no, I only agreed to pay him $5,000. And if the judge says, okay, well, what does the contract say? And they said, oh, there is no contract. It was just a handshake deal. It's like, okay, well, I don't know who's telling the truth. Is it 10,000? Is it five? I have no idea who's telling the truth. And then you say, oh, you know, well, maybe we can get five or ten other people who also said that there was a discrepancy and, you know, whatever, right? So it is a big mess. And, of course, being unable to resolve this mess literally brings down entire societies. And so societies worked very hard to prevent this kind of situation from occurring. So... You know, I mean, the invention of the pill, the invention of the car, uh, where you could drive to Lover's Lane and make out, the, the welfare state, all of this kind of stuff, and anti-Christian stuff, and our selected uh, single mom offspring behavior, uh, which I was somewhat guilty of when I was younger. So, I mean, these things have just eroded this kind of stuff, and now we have this kind of mess that the legal system can't really deal with. I mean, <laughs> I did read one thing about the Cosby case where the lawyer, one lawyer said, was asked, somebody asked the famous lawyer, uh, well, why did Bill Cosby get off? And he said, well, Bill Cosby got off because he's enormously rich, right? He's got the money to keep firing this stuff. And it seems to be that he was given some sort of assurance of non-prosecution, and therefore he revealed stuff, and then they used some of that stuff. I, I'm really just as a skimming. Uh, this could be totally wrong. It's just my skim remembering of it. So, you know, if you, make, if you make a deal saying we won't prosecute or we won't pursue this, so give us some details, then it seems to me you'd have to stick with that. Um, but so I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm not privy to everything that occurred. Uh, and uh, from a philosophical standpoint, what we need is a society where even a famous rich guy invites you to his mansion 
uh, alone that the woman says, no, I'm not going. Are you kidding me? I mean, no, <laughs> of course I'm not going. I will go with a chaperone. This was the Jelaine Maxwell thing, right? The Jelaine Maxwell thing that this sort of uh, apparently predatory madam for Jeffrey Epstein, right? That the women were like, oh, okay, the girls, the little girls, like 14-year-old girls or 15-year-old girls were like, oh, okay, you want some massage or there's going to be modeling, whatever that he lured them in with. Oh, there's going to be another woman there, so it'll be okay. So, no, you would go with a trusted female relative and you would, right? But these girls with with Cosby, with, with, you know, sorry, the women with Cosby, I think it was women with Cosby, they, why... See, what they, I think, I don't know, obviously I can't read their minds, but let's look at a scenario, not, not to look at, talk about any of these women. Let's just look at a scenario. And we all know how this works deep down, right? Some rich, famous, powerful guy offers a benefit to a young, attractive woman. And what happens? She goes there hoping that she can extract the benefit without being compromised romantically or sexually. If she's not attracted to him, doesn't want to date him or whatever, right? So, look, everyone's been in this situation. If you just want to sort of gauge it by your own life, your own sort of thoughts. Everyone's been in this situation. What happens is, let's say you're a guy, and there's a woman who is paying attention to you. Uh, Maybe flirting with you a little or showing interest in you or, or wanting to, maybe she wants to provide you some benefit or whatever, right? And you have a girlfriend. Now, how long do you say, hmm, well, if, I te- if, she's really, if, she's interested in me, if she's interested in me romantically and I tell her that she has a girlfriend, she's going to be upset, she's going to leave, and I'm not going to get whatever benefit I want from her, right? Maybe it's a job, maybe it's some opening, some opportunity, some whatever it is, right? So maybe I can play this a little bit and maybe what I can do is I won't really go over the girlfriend thing so much but I won't say let's I'm available or anything like that and I'll just I'll just play the edges of things to see if I can get the benefit before she finds out that I have a girlfriend and I'm never going to date her that is whereas if you if you're kind of desperate for whatever benefit it is that the, the woman can offer you right so if you then say yeah, you know, whatever. If she, you know, if she asks you, you have a girlfriend, and you're going to say yes, but you don't volunteer the information because you're concerned. Whatever benefit this woman can get you, she's not going to give you if she finds out you have a girlfriend. Right? You understand? Right? Sorry, I'm not annoyed at you. I'm annoyed at myself for repeating too much. So, I mean, I've I've mentioned this before. Like I, I've had this, I had this situation a couple of times when I was a hot young thing, where a woman could offer me some particular benefit. But it was pretty explicitly on the table that I would have to go out with her, maybe sleep with her, whatever. One woman offered me to, to get one of my plays produced on the radio. Uh, another woman uh, offered to uh, get my book published or to work really hard to get my book published. Uh, and these are things that I very much wanted. At the time, I'd written a radio play and I wanted it on the broadcasting, the National Broadcasting Network. That would have been a great boost to my career, of course. Back in the day, I was just a university student. But I wasn't going to date her for that. <laughs> I didn't have a girlfriend. I just wasn't going to date her for that. And so I gave up the benefit in both situations. I just wasn't going to, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't even particularly tempting. I'm just, uh, I love art, but I ain't going to gigolo myself for, for art. Like, I, that's just a gross way to, to get ahead, right? <laughs> so to speak. So so you, you, you say, can I get, this woman is 
this woman or this man is sexually interested in me, romantically interested in me, and they have something that I want, can I get what I want without giving it up and getting freaky <laughs> or whatever it is, right? That's a game that people play. And, and even if all you want, even if the only benefit you're getting is just some attention or some ego stroking or someone's attracted to you or whatever, right? It's, uh, it's a little tempting. Right? It's, it's a little tempting to, to try for that, right? I mean, it's not exactly the nicest thing in the world, but, you know, we, you know, we all like a little flattery. We all like a little positive reinforcement and all that, right? So, so with these women, Bill Cosby was this big, giant gateway to get into the entertainment industry right? He can introduce you to anyone. He could get you a part on any movie. He could like, he could just op kick open doors like uh, Marlon Brando opening up the way for Matthew Broderick, right? So my guess is that in these kinds of situations, what women do, not guessing anyone's individual particular motives here, I'm just telling you the way that I think it works, is they go and they say, okay, well, I'll go to his place and maybe... I won't say, oh, I have a boyfriend or no, I'd never be interested in you romantically or anything like that. I'll go there and maybe I can get the intro and maybe I can get a movie role or maybe I can get some coaching, uh, whatever it is. Maybe there'll be people there I can talk to and it'll really help advance my career. Now I know Bill Cosby is probably kind of interested in me romantically or sexually, but ah, it's not a big deal. I'll go and get my thing, right? That's kind of the way it probably works for a lot of these are women, right? And sometimes that does work. Sometimes you get the benefit and you don't have to give up your flower, so to speak. And sometimes you pass out. So uh, these are um, pretty, pretty bad things all around. All right. Let's see what else we have here. Uh, I have not read The Sovereign Individual. Sorry about that. Have you ever had to deal with nightmares and night terrors? Any advice? Oh, I have, in fact. Not night terrors, but I've had to deal with nightmares. Let me just, uh, yeah. I, I've given up trying to cure tech issues on, on the fly. I don't know why it's jittering a little bit. Anyway, I've got the raw recording here, so it doesn't really matter. So, night, I've only had, to my memory, well, no, I've had two sets of recurring dreams that were negative in my life. Now, one set of recurring dreams I talk about in Essential Philosophy, my book. You can get it for free at EssentialPhilosophy.com. And don't forget, don't forget, my friends. It's a great book. I keep forgetting to, to pump it. It's a great book. The Art of the Argument. You can get it at ArtoftheArgument.com. Really, really good book. So one of them I talk about, which was there would be lengthy dreams. I haven't had them in years, but they'd be lengthy dreams. And the way that they would work is that... I'd go to college and I'd be in college and I'd take a bunch of courses, but I'd get kind of distracted uh, with other things. And then I wouldn't be quite sure exactly where the courses were. I, I know I have a reading list somewhere, but I just, and basically I just end up getting further and further behind. I miss the time cut off to cut the courses, uh, to drop the courses, and I just end up in a mess. Now, this did actually happen to me once in university. I got, I played Macbeth. I was in a bunch of other plays. I wrote plays. I, I was just all over the theater scene in Montreal, and I just kind of way fell behind on my courses and had to just work like crazy to, to get caught up, and it was pretty, pretty intense trying to pull the good marks out of that situation, and uh, so, but as far as 
a nightmares that was that was like an uneasy dream and all of that but as far as nightmares went yeah i would have dreams gosh this would be more than 20 years ago now before i met my wife i had dreams when i was going through insomnia when i would sort of fall fall asleep i'd have these dreams of giant waves uh, uh, like colossal sky darkening waves going up hundreds and hundreds of feet that I would either be on the shore and they would just pound me and just like literally rip me into atoms. Or I remember once having a dream in a startlingly blue ocean and it was almost always during daytime, almost always with barely a cloud in the sky. And I remember a giant dream, a, a giant wave sucking me up while I was in the middle of the ocean, uh, pounding me, rolling me, and it ripped my arm off. I remember my arm just shooting away on a red streak like a little red propelled rocket of graspingness and uh, realizing that I was going to bleed out of the ocean. And of course, the pain of the salt hitting the wound and all of that. So, yeah, I do remember that. Uh, I do remember those dreams. The advice, the only thing that I can say is the dream is trying to tell you something. The dream is trying to tell you something. It is alerting you to a particular scenario of danger in your life. And you can't ask your dream to stop warning you if you don't listen to the warning, right? I mean, if you keep getting into bad situations with your relationships, the universe, in a sense, is trying to tell you to change how you conduct your relationships, to change who you have relationships with. And if you can't get safe, you your body won't stop trying to warn you, of course, right? So once I lived in a house that was very newly built and it was on a, a it was the first house built on the street and it was like the, the, just nothing for, for a long way around. And I was sleeping and of course you wake up and you hear thump, bang, crap. And, and you know, so can you get back to sleep? Uh, no. So what do you do? Well, you get up and you turn on the lights and you check every house and you check the basement and you realize, of course, it's just the house settling and, right, so then you get back and you go back to sleep, right? But if you just lie there thinking that someone's about to burst in and, you know, rob you or something, uh, kill you, then you can't get back to sleep, right? If you are walking in the woods and you hear sticks cracking behind you, you turn around. If there's no bear there, but there's just a tree that's leaned over a little more, you know, okay, well, if you turn around, there's a bear. But if you don't turn around, you don't know, right? If there's a bear behind you or something could be a cougar or something that could be dangerous. I mean, we all have this, you know, lying in a hammock. If you lie in a hammock, as I am occasionally want to do, you lie in a hammock. And maybe you're listening to some music or maybe you're just enjoying the sunshine. And, 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 and then there's a tickle on your leg. There's another tickle on your leg. And what do you do? Well, you have a look. You brush it off, right? Because... You don't want to get stung by a bee or a wasp or have a chunk of your flesh taken out by like a horse flying. It's horse flies. Basically, use shovels and dynamite to blow up part of your leg and then catch the flying, juicy, saving Private Ryan fragments to feast on for the next three generations. Horse flies. I'd rather get kicked in the ass by a horse than bitten by a big Ontario horse fly because they're basically just terrorists with wings. They're just like the Al-Qaeda of the insect world. They just burrow and explode. I don't know what the hell they do. Do they have jaws or do they have jackhammers? I have no idea, but I remember once getting a, a horsefly, took a chunk out of the back of my leg. That thing took a year to heal. 
I mean, it's just, they're just evil, <laughs> completely psychotic little insects. I don't even think they use this stuff. I think that just, you know, basically die. Uh, people who, who are serial killers get reincarnated as horseflies to continue their bloody work of destruction <laughs> throughout the animal kingdom. So, but yeah, so you'll, you'll check, right? It's the same thing that, that we do in general, right? Uh, you got a mole. Oh my God, is it changing shape? Well, you check it. You go and get it checked out or whatever. So if you're in some particular kind of risk, then your unconscious will try and tell you. Now, if that risk, the, the, least, the less acceptable the risk is that you're in, the more dramatic your dreams will be. Right? The less acceptable to you your danger is, the more vivid and maybe demonic and repetitive your dreams will be, I think, right? So my understanding of my dreams about the waves was me preparing myself for what I do here, right? Me preparing. See, I wrote a novel in the 90s called The God of Atheists um, about early 2000s. Anyway, it was long before YouTube and long before any of this stuff, right? And in it, a guy would speak to a computer and broadcast his thoughts across the world. And this is long before there was any technical capacity to do it and, and, and spread it and all of that. But, you know, I, I think I kind of got a sense of what was, what was coming because I've been in the tech world for a long time. So the dream was me trying to understand I was the wave in my dream, or rather me bringing the truth to the world, and the truth was, or the truth that I was bringing to the world would cause people to feel disassembled, destroyed, amputated, and so on, right? In other words, the truth that I was bringing to the world, a lot of people in the world will experience as a form of mutilation, as a form of assault, a physical threat. Right, So this was me trying to empathize with the people on the receiving end of the truth that doesn't really bother me at all. But it was a way of me trying to understand the effect that I was going to have on the world moving forward. Because the moment that I could start podcasting, I did. The moment I could start putting videos on YouTube, like the moment that I found out about YouTube, which was very early on, very shortly after it started, I put a webcam on the dash of my camera as I was recording uh, podcasts going to work, and uh, I published the videos. I mean, as soon as I could. I mean, that was when I was like, <laughs> it was you could get 15 frames a second at 640 by 480, or you could get 30 frames a second at 320 by 240, but that was about it. And the upload limit on YouTube was 100 megs, not okay, 100 megs. So, and, and the reason why the dream occurred for me for so long was because my whole purpose from becoming a child to a man, my whole purpose was to get out of the fucking asylum that I was raised in. Right? I was raised by a woman who was mentally ill, who was institutionalized, who was crazy, still is, and violent, and... Um, and, and not chaotic in a sense, but deeply disturbed in that her focus, you could see the, 
the sort of demon, right? The demon in the face trying to spread like a virus, right? And and the way that you do that is you make impossible situations, you you bully people, you drive them crazy, you're insistent, you change your story, you don't acknowledge anything, and that's how the virus of insanity changes and spreads. And this I spent my entire childhood trying to fend off this ghost demon of unreality that was trying to that had taken my mom and was trying to jump from my mom to me. And this is why I have these ninja skills of logic and deconstruction that are scar tissue from, well, not really scar tissue, they're really muscles from an early and eternal sword fight that went on for 10 years in my life from the age of five, when I at least gained some ability to push back against the craziness, to the age of 15, when I kicked my mom out of the apartment and took over the bills myself. And so my whole, my whole purpose, the whole thing that I was doing was like, I'm born in a prison. I'm born in a mad, violent, brain disassembling, black and decker drill bit to the forehead, cranium deconstruction madhouse. So I'm born in hell. I may not be able to get to heaven, but at least I can burrow out to limbo. At least I can burrow out to the worlds. That is not as crazy. And that was my uh, that was my goal. That was my plan. I started in a madhouse, but I can get out of the madhouse and get into the world. Now there's still crazy people in the world, but it's not a madhouse, right? But my dream was telling me that the world only seems relatively stable outside the madhouse because both the crazy people and the truth tellers are locked up in the madhouse in Mortal Kombat. So the crazy people try and push their crazy down into the brains of the sane people. And uh, what happens? The sane people get sharper and saner and more devoted to truth, reason, and reality as a necessity to fight off the craziness. To fight off the craziness. And then what happens is the people whose sensitivity and commitment to truth has been sharpened and strengthened by a decade or more combat with crazy people, they go out into the world. And then what happens is the people in the world who feel sane relative to the people they locked into the asylum, they feel sane. They feel like, oh, look at these crazy people. That's why we put them in the asylum. They're crazy. And then the people who survive the crazy people come out with an incredibly sharpened sense of truth and a moral courage. And they say, well, this out here, this is where the sane people are, so I'll just tell the truth. But then what happens is the people out there who consider themselves sane relative to the crazy people, you know what happens? The people who feel sane relative to the crazy people now start to feel crazy relative to the truth tellers. In other words, they feel that whereas before they were sane, now the madhouse has opened up. And... They view me the way that I viewed my mother because I viewed my mother as trying to drive me mad. And they view me as trying to drive them mad because relative to my mother, I'm very sane. But I'm still very sane relative to the average person outside the madhouse. So the dream was saying to me, you get a forum to tell the truth to the world and they will experience you 
as a giant wave that tears them apart. That once I understood that, and it took a while, then the dream stopped and they have never recurred. But it was a way of helping me to understand that it's like the story I read when I was a kid about the guy who wants to be in a swimming race and he gets bullied off the beach where it's relatively easy to swim and he has to go to some godforsaken beach where there's riptides and currents and hard rocks and sharp rocks and all of that. And that's why he has to train because he gets bullied off the normal beach. And of course, what happens is he comes back and he wins the entire winning race because he's trained under much more difficult circumstances, environment than the other kids, right? So society sealed me up with my mom but then I emerged from feeling or knowing that I was fighting off feeling crazy to telling the kind of truth to the world that makes them feel crazy, right? makes other people feel crazy. And that's sort of the blowback that I have experienced. But of course, for me, what that means is that there is no breaking out of the asylum, in a sense, because everywhere I go, I make an asylum by telling the truths that make people crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but it's, you know... I can't wait to get out of this asylum, right? And then you go out into the world, and the world is an asylum. And the only way you can pretend it's not an asylum is to shut your fucking mouth and don't say anything that makes people uncomfortable. That's the only choice you have. In other words, the only way that you can pretend you ever escaped from this asylum is to tear out your own tongue and kill your heart and your mind, your capacity to reason and think and communicate. In other words, you can be in an asylum... And then you can only believe you ever got out of the asylum by becoming mute. By shutting up and shuffling along. Getting in the line. Stepping in your tongue till it's pulled out of your mouth. And then hurling it from you like some slug that wishes to <laughs> disassemble your brain. So I got out of the asylum, a shining night of truth. I get into the world and I make people feel crazy <laughs> because I'm so sane. Whoopsie. <laughs> but, you know, I needed the delusion when I was young. I needed the delusion that I could get out to a sane world from a crazy household. I mean, come on, you know that I'm telling you what you've experienced if you listen to this show. You know that, right? You probably grew up hard. You probably grew up with those crazy people around you and you're like, oh, man, I can't wait to get out. And it's going to be great when I get out. Ooh, can't wait. Yum. Getting out is going to be great. And then you get out. And everyone around you is crazy. And they hate you because all the skills you learned conquering crazy in your household makes them feel crazy in the world. And that's how I became my mother to the world. <laughs> and I deplatformed my mother and the world deplatformed me. So I hope that, uh, I hope that helps. How do you show the people that we that are trapped in the cave what the outside looks like? Been doing it for 15 years. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, Ethereum is going to go insane. It's called the triple halving. Well, then it wouldn't be a halving, would it? <laughs> All right. 
Do you think the Middle East will become more communist as the left controls Western governments more and more? Oh, no. Oh, God, no. No, see, you have to look at what's happening to the West as an inoculation to other countries. Like, why is Hungary and, and Poland and other Eastern European countries, why are they standing so firm against the EU? Because everyone outside the West is seeing what communism is doing to the West and vowing it will never happen to them. Our decline, our disemboweling, our evisceration is an instruction. It's a horror movie to everyone else on what not to do. Right? So I don't think so. All right. MSM now accusing Trump of praising Hitler. <laughs> they have no shame. No, of course not. Right, so there, um, there are souls and there are mammals right? Humanity, right? There are souls and there are mammals. And the souls have a higher calling, universal virtue and universal value and are willing to sacrifice anything in the short to a medium and sometimes even relatively long term for the sake of virtue and truth and honor and decency and dignity and integrity and all those good things. And then you have the mammals, right? You have the souls and the mammals. And the souls are largely Christians and the mammals are often other people as, as a whole, right? And the whole point of the secularism is to strip people of their souls so that they simply make calculations from the standpoint of animal, mammal, mammalianism, so to speak, right? Which is, okay, well, so what if I have to lie? Lying is for souls. Lying is a sin relative to souls, relative to people who are into universal ethics. Lie, animals don't care about lying. They're perfectly happy to pretend, to feign, to camouflage, to misdirect, to whatever, right? And so I would say that in general, I mean, the, the Christian press is a different matter, but in general, the people in the media are on the mammal side and uh, not on the soul side. And if you understand the world, right, you sort of slice and dice this into the souls of the mammals and you, you can't trust the mammals because it's simply a momentary advantage. I remember in the movie Goodfellas, uh, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro play buddies, and then Robert De Niro turns on Joe Pesci and, you know, well, you're of utility to me, now you're not of utility to me, so too bad for you, right? And I remember being shocked, because I'm a soul, looking and saying, well, they're criminals, but at least they've got some honor among thieves, at least they've got, but no, nothing, right? It's like, oh, you're of utility to me, now you're not of utility to me, so too bad, right? And mammals will use things until they're no longer of use, and then they will discard them or kill them, or abandon them, or ignore them, or whatever, right? Because it just doesn't serve the genes, right? Genes versus souls, right? That's the big, that's the big difference. All right, let's see here. Thought on Gen X, Zoomers, and the future. Pull out your crystal ball. I'm just, I mean, it's all about demographics, and it's become really boring. All right, how do you convince a teenage girl that being promiscuous is not cool, even if most of the people in her school do it? Hmm. Well, of course, you you can show her the facts, right? You can show that the more sexual partners she has, the more likely she is to divorce her husband and wreck her life and wreck her marriage and so on, and that she is a treasure, right? I mean, if you're a treasure, you don't hand yourself around like candy, right? Like candy on Halloween. If you're a treasure, then you wait for a hero, right? And if she wants to hand herself around like candy, you know, I have a, I have a big problem, and I've always had a big problem with the obvious people, right? The obvious trolls, right? So 
it's it's you know the kind of people where you know you're talking it's like oh yeah you know men and men in general are taller than women and they say ah but i know a tall woman <laughs> just yeah okay that's completely obvious, right? Or, or the people who in the business would always say, well, you know, the really important thing is we create a great product that satisfies customers for a profit. It's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. You know, I, that's, that's not helpful. <laughs> it's blindingly, uh, blindingly obvious that that's what we have to do. So if you think you're adding real value by just stating the blindingly obvious, then you're an obvious troll, right? You're an obvious troll. And so for a woman, a, a teenage girl, um, Boys are full of of hormones, right? Young, dumb, and full of cum, as the phrase goes, right? So boys are full of hormones and are looking to have sex with anything that moves. Like you're basically a slice of apple pie or a microwaved <laughs> watermelon, according to some rumors, right? And so to me, it's like, for a teenage girl, it's like, oh, you have now achieved the superlatively easy task of getting a teenage boy or a boy or a man to have sex with you. That's not that's not an achievement. You haven't unlocked anything here. <laughs> There's no uh, big hundred spinning gold star at the end of that pathway, right? So yeah, good good for you. You have uh, you have you have become popular through the use of your vagina, which is programmed into boys. So yeah, you know it's like you know, if if you go uh, to um, to to some beachside bar and you say uh uh everyone's drinks are on me for the rest of the day right and then people are like yay and they come and chat with you and it's like okay so you bought people a bunch of drinks might be a fine thing to do whatever you bought people a bunch of drinks and they like you yay you know you've 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 produced the unparalleled rare unique power and ability of getting people you buy drinks for to think you're a good person or you're a cool person or whatever, right? To think positively of you. It's, like, it's kind of, it's just kind of boring. And so for a teenage girl, like, ooh, <laughs> men have hormones, boys have hormones, and they want to have sex, and they think about little else and all of that, right? <laughs> They're bending their bonus backwards. I remember this. <laughs> we have a title for the show. They're bending their bonus backwards. Do you remember this? I don't know if it happens anymore, but when I was in uh, school, we would uh, do do swimming with the girls, right, in gym class, right? And the girls would be out there in their bikinis, and the boys, um, not I, but the boys would be in in the cubicles, uh, the the washrooms, right, the the uh, where, where the toilets are. And they would be bending their bonus backwards in the hopes that they wouldn't stride out with their speedos, pitching a massive tent, and looking like somebody who was about to overturn Heath Ledger in a bad medieval David Bowie movie, right? So, yeah, bending the bonus backwards. So, wow, you, you've managed to... You've managed to have sex with a teenage boy. Ooh, <laughs> achievement unlocked, called You've Booted Up the Game. So, uh, it's, it's just such a low-rent, low-status thing to do. It's, uh, that would be my, my suggestion. Right? All right, so let's see here. How do you guys feel about a woman with nose rings like a bull nose ring these days? Uh, yeah, no, uh, stay away from tattoos, stay away from facial piercings. I mean, earrings, fine, whatever, right? But no, gotta, you got to stay away from that stuff, man. Those are just markers of women who will uh, hold you ass backwards through family court with uh, forks and sporks attached to your nads. All right, 
Am I the only one having problems with the stream? Yeah, probably. Not to be cruel, but I wonder how the MSM will cover what will happen to all these millions of feminists as they keep going up in age. No, they'll just disappear them. They'll just vanish. They'll, they'll just completely, they, they don't exist, right? I have an unreleased show. I think I released it at freedomain.locals.com. You can get the, um, the premium shows. There's a whole bunch of shows there that I haven't put out yet. Some really, really great stuff. Amazing stuff actually out there. So freedomain.locals.com. But uh, no, they just, they just like there's an old saying in Hollywood, right? There is, um, there's three ages for women in Hollywood. Ingenue, district attorney, driving Miss Daisy, right? That's it, right? That's it. And so all of these women who get roles because they're young and hot, and then they get middle-aged and they'll get some district attorney roles and then they vanish until Driving Miss Daisy, which was Jessica Tandy. One of the, I think she was the original, one of the original Blanche Dubois back in the day, a fantastic actress. And so the women over 40, they just vanish. And then women over 40 write all of these articles complaining that they don't get paid attention to anymore, that nobody cares about them, that they've just vanished from society and nobody cares, right? Well, first of all, welcome to be a young man, right? You're a young man, and you've got to fight your way and carve your way through like an icebreaker through a glacier to get through into society to carve your mark, to make your mark. And of course, you vanish. You don't care, right? I mean, you're just a bunch of, you're just a face in the cloud. You're like a, you know, thumbprint in the back of a Matisse painting in a crowd, right? That's it, right? So, yeah, women get massive amounts of attention when they're young, and that deludes them to think that they are innately worth that as opposed to there's hormones, right? Milking hormones is just, you know, it's like... <laughs> Uh, if if you get a, a fan base of, of morally intelligent and dedicated people like yourself, I think that's something to be proud of. It's something to have as an achievement. But if you are simply the first thing that a bunch of baby ducks see and then they just follow you around because they imprint on the first thing they see, it could be you, uh, it could be a balloon, it could be a scooter, it could be a golf cart, it could, anything. Whatever they see first, they'll just follow around. Oh, look, I've got some baby ducks to follow me, you know. <laughs> It's really not, it's not an achievement. <laughs> you didn't earn it. You didn't, like, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, you know, if you if you go to the you go to the park with a, a whole loaf of bread and you start feeding the birds and the birds, oh, they love me. <laughs> no, they just like the bread and you've got bread and it's not a big achievement. They're just flying, eating machines, right? And it's funny, you know, people say, oh, the woman who just orders a salad or whatever, oh, she eats like a bird. It's like, no, she doesn't. If she ate like a bird, she'd eat like 400 pounds a day of body weight, right? So, no, uh, the, uh, the women over 40, of course they vanish from society because they're supposed to have used their youth to build a family and, and babies and kids and husband, and, right? And so they have kids who care about them and then they have grandkids and great-grandkids and grandnieces and nephews, and right? The women are, and they're supposed to have a community where they've done things to help and benefit the community and, and they've called upon the people who were unwell and they brought them lasagnas and they, they've made sure everyone's fine and like they've, they've embedded themselves and they never ever will vanish from society. In fact, a woman gets more and more positive attention going forward because she's built a great family, a great community and, and is much loved and treasured in her tribal environment, so to speak. What the woman means, of course, is that she got a lot of attention for being young and hot. She didn't use that as the foundational stones with which to build a family and to bring positive things to her community, right? She just got 
horrible things done to her on some Saudi yacht <laughs> in Bahrain or something like that, right? So, society will just banish those people because they've, they've served their purpose, right? The, the purpose is to bring down the birth rates of smart people. And once that has been achieved, once they've managed to delude the woman into giving up her fertility, to outlasting her fertility, they don't care what happens to her after that. Of course not, because they've achieved their goal of reducing the birth rate of smart people. So what do they care what happens to her after that? So they're, they're done with her, right? The mammals are finished with her. So let's see here. What do we got here? What's your favorite thing to get at McDonald's? Um, is that really an important question? I guess, yeah, I don't care if you, if you care to know. It doesn't really matter. Um, like maybe once a year, I do love their ice cream, man. Those McDonald's ice creams, I know that they're chemical farts from Satan's <laughs> belly button, but they're really creamy and they're really good. So uh, once or twice a year, my daughter and I will get an ice cream. And um, what else do I like at McDonald's? I mean, you can get a decent wrap. It's okay. Like if you're drive, driving someplace and you just need some calories, you can get a decent little wrap at McDonald's. When I was a kid, though, I'll tell you, man, those Sundays with the caramel on top and the nuts, oh, my God, they were so good. I mean, they probably are still good. I haven't had one in decades or whatever, but, yeah. So, uh, Can you describe the divorce rate and mental illness in women with multiple partners? Five plus. Yeah, it's bad, right? So a woman, if you're her first sexual partner, she will almost never divorce you. And it just goes up from there, right? And to the point where she's had 12, 15, 17 sexual partners, the divorce rates are very high. Uh, I've got the truth about sex. So, and just as a reminder, I should do a solo video on this, but fdrpodcast.com, fdrpodcast.com, do a search, and right below will be the video links. So, all right. Let's see here. Where does anorexia and bulimia come from? Um, well, of course, I don't know. <laughs> I have some theories because I've met some women over the years who have eating disorders. So we all wish to be attractive. We all wish to be attractive. Look, I have to be attractive to you guys. I don't necessarily mean take my shirt off, although I'm sure that's coming soon. But I have to be attractive to you in that I have to find a way to communicate philosophy and insights and value in a digestible and enjoyable manner and so on. And I've always had this kind of truth whisperer thing where I can say truths without immediately enraging the mob. I mean, they slowly gather over time, but I just, because I'm not bothered by the truth and people don't judge, they don't judge the truth, they judge how you judge the truth. So if you put forward the truth like, uh, right, then they'll be like, oh my gosh, he's doing something wrong. He's a bad guy. Whereas if you're like, hey, this is the truth and you're smiling and you're positive, then it takes them a lot longer to figure out <laughs> that they're upset and that, you know, it gets you, they can buy you some time to, to do whatever you need to do. It bought me like, I don't know, 14 years. I was actually, I was kind of down last week and I realized that was kind of the anniversary of my YouTube ban, right? It was, I think, the end of June 2020 or something like that. So it's sad that 2020 was the time when mankind lost a lot of its vision. But anyway, so we all want to be attractive and... The wanting to be attractive has an Aristotelian mean to it, right? So if you don't care about being attractive, that's bad. If you care too much about being attractive, that's bad. So wanting to remain relatively slender is a good thing. It's good for your joints. It's good for your heart. It's good for your 
risk for cancer. It's good for now in the age of COVID. It's good for not getting downed by COVID too badly. So wanting to remain slender, you want to be in the middle of the Aristotelian mean, right? You don't want to not care about getting fat, but you don't want to obsess about everything that you eat, right? So there are these two extremes. So the people who just like, basically, I don't care that I'm getting fat, or maybe it just hits me once in a while or whatever, right? That's bad, because that's on the one side extreme of not caring about, say, weight. On the other hand, there's the people like Zelda Fitzgerald who like measure their thighs every day to make sure they haven't gained a micromillimeter of fat. And the people who are the women who obsess about, you know, the thigh gap that you stand together and put your knees together, there's still supposed to be a gap between your thighs, right? So anorexia and bulimia, I would assume, come out of two things. Number one, hyper-controlling parents. So parents and kids and food is like a weird, weird planet, right? It's a weird planet, isn't it? I didn't have this so much with food so much, but and that was one of the decent things that my mom did or rather didn't do was get, you know, hyper-Nazi toilet trained at gunpoint about what I ate. But, you know, parents, moms in particular, can be dads sometimes, mostly moms with food. It's like, well, I cooked this for you. You're going to sit there until you eat it and starving kids in India and all that kind of crap, right? And so what happens is then the mouth right, becomes the orifice that is used to dominate you. Like, you have to eat this food. You have to swallow this food. And like, I knew this woman once who she could only eat beige things when she was a kid and a teenager. If it wasn't beige, she just wouldn't or couldn't eat it. And so if your mouth is the orifice by which people jam a lever in and control your behavior, then you want to control your mouth. You want to control what goes in there, right? Uh, There was a... um, intervention show once about a woman who was orally raped as a child and just couldn't eat. She had to actually take food in through a hole uh, that had been inserted into her belly button. She just basically squished everything up and gooped it into her belly that way, which was bad and causing infections and all of that. And so because she had been repeatedly orally raped as a child, Gabriel Gabriel Byrne, who plays a magnificent, she's a fantastic actor, and uh, if you ever get to watch the show In Treatment, his portrayal of this therapist, Paul, I think his name is, is just amazing. But he himself was sexually molested as a child in Ireland by the priests, right? And so, so if you have a part of your body that has been used to control and bully and, and manipulate and, and manage you, right? In other words, if through your mouth, that's the big hole that your, the crowbar of control goes in, right? and this can be different things for different people, then you will try to control your mouth because you feel like you're being controlled by your mouth or through your mouth. And so I think it's easy to tip, or can be easy to tip people into the excess of, yeah, you got to watch what you eat. Like we all do this, right? I mean, I don't think I'm alone in doing this, that, you know, every now and then you kind of go a little nuts, you're away, you're, there's a buffet, and you go a little nuts, you eat a little too much, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, exercise a little more, eat a little less, or whatever, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a sort of constant calorie. It's generally constant, and I have weighed the same forever, and I weigh less than I weighed when I was 20 or whatever, right? So, but, you know, every now and then it's like, yay, <laughs> just things happen, and, and you just, you're in a great conversation, just kind of auto-eating, so to speak, or whatever. Right? Anyway, so... So we all need to watch what we eat, and in excess of that, I think that comes out of parental control of intake, now of food intake. Now, the other thing, of course, as well, 
is that if you are attractive, like let's say take the typical example, right? If you're a woman who's really attractive, the more slender you are, the more resources you get. In other words, the fewer resources you consume, the more resources you get. The more slender you are, the richer the guy, the more dates you'll get out on, the more yachts you'll be taken on to Bahrain with horrible things with Saudi princes, whatever, right? So if you are a, a slender, then it's a form of resource investment, right? And like I remember... Uh, in my novel, The God of Atheists, uh, there's a boy band, and the there's a really cross manager who's, who says to the guy who's gaining some weight, the lead singer, he says, uh, hey, listen, Meatloaf, <laughs> you can have screaming fans, you can have MTV specials, you can have millions of dollars in the bank account, you can tour the world, or you can have a fucking donut. Make your choice, right? And, you know, if you are a movie star, a stripper, a... <laughs> porn star or whatever it is right then if or, or instagram girl or whatever then you stay thin and you gain a massive amount of value so losing weight to gain value is kind of hardwired into used to be just women now it's men to some degree right and so you get these wires well okay if i'm thinner i get more resources and i think if you combine that with a rigid parental control of the child through food bullying then what happens is you end up with someone who doesn't have as much of a sense of their own value, doesn't have much of a sense of the good and virtue and conversation and, and wisdom and insight and knowledge they could bring to the world. And these wires just, which is, oh, I'm not really worth that much, but the less I weigh, the more I'm worth. And we all want to feel like we're worth something. So we all want to be attractive. We all want to feel like we're worth something. We all want to feel like we're valuable to the world. And for some people, and again, it's more women than men, but for some people, and it happens in the gay community uh, quite a lot as well, then the wires just go, right? They don't have a circuit breaker. The wires just click and connect, which is the value that I bring is being slender. The value that I bring is being slender. And, you know, the old thing, you can never be too rich or too thin, right? Can't be too thin. So they look at themselves and they say, well, the less of me there is, the more value I have. And there's no cutoff to that, right? There's no, okay, well, that's too thin, right? It just keeps looping. It keeps looping because the more that they focus on being thinner, the less they are contributing things of value to the world. And so it becomes kind of, I guess, sometimes literally a death spiral, right? Where the less of me there is, the more value that I have. And then the more you focus on just calorie counting and losing weight and this and that and the other, then the less you're building up your personality and good connections and good positive vibes in the world and making the world a better place or whatever it is you're doing that, that makes you have value in the world as a whole, you're just focusing narcissistically, selfishly, solipsistically on losing weight. And you just get stuck in this loop. And it is a loop, right? The more I lose weight, the more value I have. And then very soon, it is the only value I have is losing weight, right? So you go, oh, the more weight I lose, the more value I have. And, of course, you do get a lot of positive reinforcement, usually, when you lose weight, mostly. You, oh, you look great. Oh, how much did you lose? Or uh, what are you doing? So it's easy to go from the less I weigh, the more valuable I am, to the only value I have is weighing less. And then you're just, you're just stuck in the loop, and it's, it's pretty tough to break out of, I think. So hope that helps. Let's see here. Advice on finding a good husband, female that doesn't have much of a social life here. One long-term relation ended at 28. Only partner. Oh, that was your only partner? Well, you're already ahead of the game to anybody who knows these statistics. Uh, so finding a good husband. 
So I think the first thing to recognize is that the majority of men deep down want to become good husbands, right? They want to become good husbands. I saw this funny, it's kind of a quasi funny, bit of an eye rolling dad joke meme, but it was this meme where this, this guy was posting and said, I'm going to the buffet. And I say to my wife, Hey, what do you want? And she says, Oh, come on. You don't have to ask me. You know what I like. I've never been more terrified right? because he wants to please his wife. He wants his wife to be happy and all that. So most men, they don't wake up and say, you know, I just want to bang a daisy chain of girls from here to eternity and, you know, whatever, coke off the bellies of hookers or whatever it is. Most men, you know, they, they want to settle down and provide for a family and raise some kids. Most men want to do that. So women and men, the reason we're all here is that women and men kind of did that over the course of human evolution and human history and all of that. So recognize that that's what men want. And men are unbelievably tell me if i'm wrong here guys hit me with an n if you don't believe this but aren't you kind of desperate to be appreciated <laughs> aren't you kind of desperate to be appreciated to provide for family and have people love and thank you and respect you for what you're bringing to the table literally bringing to the table the table you probably even made with your own bare manly hands like don't you just want to be appreciated and wouldn't you do just about anyone for people who really appreciate you I tell you this, I mean, my relationship with you guys as an audience, like I kind of went out on the pirate plank there for, for quite a number of years talking about really important, difficult subjects, partly because I've got other reasons, but partly because there was a lot of appreciation, like thank you for taking on these difficult topics that could really help the world, right? So men are just desperate to be appreciated. Show appreciation. Show that you like men. <laughs> it's kind of a shocking thing, right? But communicate in general as a whole wherever it is in person in social media wherever that you really like men i like women i really do i know i criticize women from time to time but that's affection too right and so i really like it delightfully incomprehensible that to me is is the best way i've been able to sum them up sum them up for myself i love women i think women are absolutely fascinating amazing wonderful creatures they bring life they nurture they have lots of patience in, in most scenarios they are just warm and tender and funny and and all of that. And they navigate a world full of people twice their size. I mean, this is something men don't really understand, right? Unless you've been around a whole bunch of basketball players. Women have to kind of navigate their way through a world where everyone's twice their size, twice as strong, and wants the one thing between their legs. And they got to find a way to build a family out of that one-sided lust scenario, right? It's incredible what they do. It really is just beautiful and amazing and incredible what they do. Enjoy being a woman. Really love and, and respect your sex, and recognize that men have a huge amount to bring to the table. Women have a huge amount to bring to the table. We can make each other so happy. It's patently ridiculous. And for a man to sense that a woman likes men, appreciates men, and will appreciate him in particular, total catnip, man. You'll, you'll have them wrapped around your finger, you know, hopefully 12 times. All right. Let's see here. Promiscuity is prompted as a culture. Tinder, plenty of fish, e.g. I don't know what that one is. Um, no, so promiscuity is just the welfare state and abortion, that's all. I mean, so. Somebody says, I hate dating apps. Just sloshy, gross, whore shit. <laughs> yeah, could be right. Uh, somebody else has said, I feel dating apps is one of the most effective ways to meet someone. Oh, Lord, am I really an hour behind on my comments? I think I am. All right, hang on a sec here. 
I struggle with the fear of rejection of being seen as a creep. Yeah, look, a woman, look, ladies, I don't know if this whole wisdom has been lost on you as a whole, but let me just, just tell you something. So a, a man who's, you know, decent and reasonable and sensitive is not going to be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> He's not going to be pulling a joey on you and sliding up, sidling up to you and all that kind of stuff, right? But... He's going to, and, and if he really likes you, he's going to be afraid of rejection, so he's going to um, be pretty intimidated by you. And it's easy to read this as weakness when what it really is is appreciation of you. He's, he's attracted to you, he likes you, and it's not just physical, like it's a laugh, it's a, you know, turn of the head, it's a whatever, right? It's a spirit that, that women exude and emanate, and it has something to do with the physical, but it's certainly not exclusive to the physical, right? I mean, my wife I've now known from her 30s to her 50s, and her spirit has remained undaunted and, and buoyant and, and wonderful and, and she can see the good in everything and the positive in everything and it, it's just an amazing thing because I'm, I'm Irish <laughs> so a little bit a little bit less of the buoyancy sometimes uh, but that's all right and again it's a good I think it's a good compliment so you need to look at uh, getting a man to approach you like you know you're feeding a squirrel a little bit there like you never try to feed a squirrel like in in the park or whatever right it takes a little while, and you kind of got to calm, be calm and friendly. And if you're interested in the guy, you know, toss him a couple of smiles, uh, toss him a little high, you know, and have him come over. And and don't be standoffish. You know, just be friendly. Be friendly. And it's hard for a man to ask a woman out. It's really, really brutal. In fact, I know, I know boys now men who basically were so scared to ask women out, they chose a life of bachelorhood. That's, that's how terrifying it can be. And the more you like the woman, the harder it is to ask her out. It's a great compliment for the man to be nervous, right? And don't smile at it and don't view it as cute. I mean, it really is a torture for men. Have some sympathy. It doesn't mean you've got to go out with every man who asks you, obviously, right? But it's a, it's a torture. For, it's like literally it's the torture for men. And I think if you, I don't know if the brain scans would be done, but I bet you it would show up actually as physical torture in, in the world. And it, it is a great compliment. And the more nervous he is, the more he likes you. And that's a great compliment to you. And just, be, be, you don't have to go out with him, but be nice about it. That's all I'm saying, right? Okay. So, and, and also tell him you got a boyfriend early on, right? Back to the early thing, if you have one, right? Uh, I'm the kind of guy who wouldn't recognize flirting and when I saw it until hours later. Yeah, well, it probably is a lack of training from your parents, which is a real sad. Were the women who offered to publish your book a zero out of ten? No. No, no, they were attractive women for sure. All right. Can't stand women wearing masks in their car. Oh, it's fantastic. They're completely like that woman who got really hysterical in the elevator. I don't know if you've seen that short video, but uh, it is um it's very, very helpful. Very helpful. You should really thank the dysfunctional people. I mean, I know I haven't always been this way in my life, but I'll tell you where I am right now. Uh, my mom's still alive, but I will go and put flowers on her grave. I really will. When she's dead, I will put flowers on her grave because she taught me everything to not do. She taught me everything to avoid. She taught me every bad mental habit that leads to emotional and spiritual self-destruction. And I would not be the husband that I am. I would certainly not be the father that I am if it wasn't for my mother. My daughter should kneel in gratitude before my mother's grave, kiss the moss and say, thank you, thank you, thank you grandmother who I never met for making my father such a great dad. Thank you.
Just knowing I can't date someone who's vaccinated is sad. Is it, though? Is it? Is it? I mean, you want somebody who's unique and thinks for themselves. You've got the easiest mechanism by which you can sidestep the conformists who tend to be very dangerous people, right? You, you know, the mob's going to mob's gonna come for you one day. <laughs> the mob is going to come for you one day. And you don't want people going to join the mob who you think are going to stand beside you or at least help you flee. So, no, you should, the vaccination thing is like, are you vaccinated? Well, yeah. Now, just being vaccinated is not, right? It's not the end of the world, right? Because they may say, oh, yeah, no, I know it's, uh, I know it's an experiment. I know the trials don't end until next year. I know that it was never officially approved by the FDA, but blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, that's, you know, those are reasonable things to, to say and so on. But if it's just like, I got a donut, <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, I think that is very helpful, isn't it? I mean, don't you want to not waste time on people who don't think for themselves? Do you think people who weren't spanked as a child sleep better than those who were? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, no question, because being spanked as a child is being exposed to random pain, which keeps your stress levels high, your cortisol levels high, your adrenaline kicks in, and it comes very tough to relax, for sure. Uh, Stefan was watching last week's episode. From my experience, a lot of women are self-unaware and irresponsible. But see, okay... First of all, compared to what? Compared to men? Do you see a lot of responsibility out there in terms of the porn-addicted, video game-addicted men out there? Do you see a lot of responsibility about any of that stuff? Or even for personal hygiene? I'm putting together a whole series on how to find a great woman. And uh, trust me, the first step is personal hygiene, right? I mean, are you presentable? Do you have clean teeth? Uh, you know, do, do you dress reasonably well? Like, this basic things, right? So, and if everyone, like, when people say, well, all women are... They, they never insert the correct phrase. The correct phrase is, all women I know are. See? All women I know are. Uh, it's a very different situation. It's a very different It's like, all men are drunks. No. All the men you hang out with drink. Uh, it's a very different thing. So if you think that there's, oh my God, all these women are so irresponsible and self-unaware, it's like, what circles are you moving in? What circles are you going in? Now, women tend to be a little bit more conformist. They tend to be a little bit um, more uh, higher, higher in spending, a little bit less responsible in terms of money and long-term, this, that, and the other. But uh, don't, don't damn all women for the women you know. That's uh, kind of an insult to people who've made different decisions. Hey, Steph, what career advice would you give a 25-year-old who didn't get good grades in high school, currently in life limbo? What do you care about? Do that, relentlessly provide value until you break through to self-sustainability. Whatever it is in life, friendship, love, career, job, you just relentlessly provide value. Relentlessly provide value. How can I provide value? How can I give something that's of utility? How can I make somebody else's life better? You do that in life, you will want for nothing. But if you think about how much money can I make? How can I get my career started? Get my job going? It's not how the economy works. The economy works not because of what you need, but because of what you can provide. Ah, oh, this woman would make me so happy. I want her. Never work. 
Never work. You say, how can I make this woman's life wonderful? Maybe you got a shot. The reason why you're in limbo, in life limbo, is because you don't believe you have anything to offer. Now, if you're listening to this show, stop that. Shut your pie hole. You have a massive amount to offer. You're listening to the show, top 1%. Boom, done. Packaged. You can reject that if you want. It's true. Top 1%. Right there. This is a complicated show. These are complicated concepts. And there's always something new. I rarely repeat myself. And if I do, I will mention it and why. You ever heard me break down bulimia and anorexia before? See, there's new stuff all the time. So you like challenging concepts, top 1%. New, you, you love new stuff rather than repetition, top 1%. Love Rush Limbaugh in a lot of ways, but my God, that guy could repeat himself. It just felt like the same show over and over. It's just, you know, I, I, can't, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. But, you know, the higher IQ, the less repetition you can stand as a whole, right? Not dissing on Rush's audience or anything like that, but there was a little bit of the same well every day, right? So Bongino can be a bit that way as well. So why are you so angry at the world that you won't work to improve it? Why? You may have legitimate reasons to be angry at the world. But if you can't get over that anger at the world, then you won't be able to unleash the benefits you can bring to the world, which will get you started and get you going in a career in love and friendship or whatever, right? How can I make people's lives better around me? Are you volunteering? Are you um, helping answering people's questions on forums? Are you, are, or is it just all about you? Is it, oh, I like this new video game, or I don't know, I, I want to watch this new movie, and it's just all about you and other people feeding you. Okay, well, then they'll get rich and you'll stay poor because they're supplying your needs and you're not supplying anyone's needs. The people who make movies, okay, you rent the movie or you pay Netflix or whatever, okay, they've made their money and you just consumed their stuff because they're providing some kind of value to you, even if that value is programming and distraction. Oh, you can make a new video game. So you'll go pay 50 bucks for that, okay. They're now serving your needs, they're providing you value, they get rich, you stay poor. You got to think about what value can you provide to the world, can you provide to people? What shine can you bring to someone else's day? <laughs> I'm a little relentless this way. I'll be honest, I'm a little relentless this way. I mean, when it comes to waiters, I want them to enjoy serving me. I'll make a couple of jokes and anything. Everyone that I interact with, I try to make their life a little bit better from having interacted with me. Now, I pay the waiters. I tip ridiculously well because I was a waiter and waiters have had a very tough time and I would suggest if you can afford it, Please tip your waiter. <laughs> Please tip your waiter as well. They've had a hell of a year. So everyone you interact with should have a slightly better time because they've interacted with you. To the point, like, I'm on customer service, I'll make a joke. Or ask how they're doing. Or say, if it's a Sunday, I'm so sorry you have to work on a Sunday. I mean, just a little thing. A little thing. You start small. Are people happy that they talk to you. Are they happy that they interacted with you? Did you make their day a little better, a little brighter, a little more positive? Get into that habit. 
get into that habit. <laughs> I mean, I'll just show you how, I'll tell you how it works, right? So my daughter wanted an iced decaf latte. Not a big fan of Starbucks. It's the only place. So we went to Starbucks. I ordered her her iced decaf latte. And then I ordered some little lemonade thing, right? And the woman in the cash register, like the woman at the intercom, she said, oh, I'm supposed to have these little crumbly things that, I'm, that go into the lemonade. I don't have any. Is that okay? <laughs> anyway, so I made a couple of jokes. Also, I said something like, oh, just, you know, just take it. So you're, what you're saying is that because you, you don't have those, you'll crumble up a free cake pop and throw it in for me, right? That, that's the deal? That's what you're telling me? Because I'll go for that deal. I will take that deal in a heartbeat. And she laughed, right? Now, you know, was it it's a fantastic piece of, of uh, Kafkaesque humor? No, it was just a goofy little joke or whatever, right? Anyway, so we go through, we pay, and I say, can I tip? And she says, no, not on this machine. You have to go inside. It's like, I'm sorry, next time, whatever, right? Anyway, so she hands me all of the stuff, and she hands me a little a little uh, bag, right? And I knew what it was, right? So anyway, I turned to my daughter and I said, look, and I said, thanks, that was really kind. You didn't have to do that because she gave me a cake pop, right? Which is, I haven't eaten it because I don't really eat that stuff. But it was a very nice gesture, a very nice thought, right? So you just make a little joke or two. And again, you don't have to be like Mr. or Goofy Riff guy like me or whatever, but just try, please, I'm begging you. It will make your life so much better. It really will. I got a cake pop, <laughs> which I didn't eat, right? But just try and... Like, whoever you interact with, and it doesn't have to be jokes. It can be something, anything. It can be uh, uh, a, a kind word. It can be a sympathy for they have to work on a Sunday. It could be any number of things, right? It can be any number of things, right? Um, a while ago, I was in a little shop with my daughter getting some frozen yogurt. It was later in the evening, and, you know, I just, you know, oh, you must be dying to get home. Uh, do you live far? Of course, I always ask women, oh, do you live far? It sounds kind of creepy or whatever, right? But just a little bit, you know, thank you so much. Uh, and of course, you know, the fact that you get, like, if people like you, they'll give you more froyo. I don't do it for that. Or the fact that if you make a, a, a cashier at Starbucks laugh, she'll give you a cake pop. I mean, I'm not, this, I don't care if I get the cake pop or not. I don't care if I get more froyo. But what I'm saying is that in your life, do you, do you just wait for things to come to you? Oh, I'm empty. I'm hungry. I need things. I, I need distraction. I need somebody to cheer me up. I need this. Okay, look, we all need that. I understand that. And I'm not saying that that's irrelevant or unimportant. But what I am saying is that can you give yourself this challenge that everyone you meet will be happy they met you, that everyone you interact with will be really happy that they interacted with you? Everyone. Everyone. Try to give yourself that challenge. Maybe you can just say the next person, right? Can I put a smile on the cashier's face when I buy a coffee? I mean, I'm relentlessly curious about people, right? If I go to a restaurant, you know, more than three times and there's a new waiter, I say, hey, did you just join? Hey, how long have you been working here? Hey, you know, oh, I'm working here. I'm in college. Hey, what are you taking? <laughs> I'm just, I'm relentlessly curious about people. <laughs> <laughs> to the point that they probably call the manager. But no, I'm just relentlessly curious about people. Men, women, I don't care, right? I just want to know what's their life. You know, you get a little window into someone's life and, you know, because you're just passing through their life, right? Right, so this cashier at McDonald's, I'll probably never talk with her ever again in my entire life, right? And she's probably forgotten about me by now unless she coincidentally happens to, in which case, thanks for the cake pop. But, 
it's it's a you're just you're just a face in the rain. You just drive by, right? Nothing, right? But can you bring a little something positive to people's lives? And I've been doing this long before I was a public figure, right? Just bring something positive to people's lives. I don't give myself a conscious challenge, but it's like for me, if I can make someone smile or laugh during my interaction with them, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm, happy, I'm a happy guy. And 99 times out of 100, I get absolutely nothing out of it other than the fact that somebody was happier because they had an interaction with me. And you hear me when I do my call-in shows, right? It's like, how was the call for you? Was it valuable? Is there anything that I missed? Could I have done anything better? Like, just want to be positive. So in life as a whole... If you cultivate within yourself the habit of, I want to make people happy they met me. Now, this doesn't mean becoming a dancing monkey and a Robin Williams mannequin, whatever it is, right? But it doesn't, it, what, it doesn't have to be the way I do, obviously, right? Anything that you can bring to bear. It could be sensitivity, could be concern, could be, you know. Like, if I see someone... <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was at the beach with my daughter. We're walking back, and this woman had this big giant cast on, right? So what do I do? Oh, my gosh, what happened to your leg? I'm curious. I really, I genuinely want to know. And then she'd, she'd just come from Colorado, I think. She'd been skiing, and she fell, and, and she had torn her ACL or some, you know, maybe it was her Achilles tendon or something. I can't remember what. Anyway. But the point is, you know, we, we were, I was with my daughter and we were walking uh, back to the car and, you know, we had a five-minute conversation. Like, oh my gosh, how long is it going to take to heal? That must be really tough. Was it painful? You know, I, <laughs> I really want to know things. And people will usually chat and they're usually very positive uh, to, to know. And um, I don't know if she, you know, but somebody saw and noticed and cared that, that her you know, because when you get injured, it's a big deal to you, right? You get a big deal. Like Stephen Crowder just was doing some skit and like turned his knee into Mr. Potato Head. And, and now he's got surgery for some other issue that he's got. And, you know, lots of you know, love and, and care uh, out to uh, Stephen Crowder. I texted his producer saying best, you know, hope everyone's, hope it goes well. And lots of sympathy to the guy and he's, I think his kids. Anyway, he's got kids. Anyway, so just something. Can you break out of your I need to an I provide? Can you go from a position of wanting to a position of giving? Because that implies and signals strength and signals something positive. Something excess in your personality. Now, who knows where that's going to lead? But as you know, with my show, I gave away for years before I asked for donations. And I've been giving away for 16 years now with charging for virtually nothing. I get offers all the time. People say, I want to pay you just one-on-one -on -one sessions. Like, no, no, no. It's for the world. It's for the world. I want hundreds of thousands of people to benefit, not my bank account. <laughs> so I have to, you know, because I only have a certain amount of time. That's what I do, right? So I give my books away. It reduces cynicism and it gets philosophy out into the world more. So just try and find ways that you can... Your cup will flow over and it will feel weird because you feel like uh, the world owes me and, and the world has been mean to me and, and nobody invests in me. And I get that. But you're an adult now. So be what's missing. That's it, man. That's be three words. Be what's missing.
I felt philosophy was missing. I be the philosophy that's missing. I felt engaged, common sense, actionable philosophy was missing in the world. I hate all that academic shit. I really hate it. So I be what's missing. Create what's missing. Fill the hole, so to speak, right? Become what you didn't get. Provide what you didn't get. Give what was taken from you. I felt the world was crazy. I provide sanity. I feel that people can be too dour. I supply positivity. There's no better way to heal yourself for the wounds that were given to you than to heal others. Healing others is the action that heals you. I want you to understand that. You will never, ever fill yourself up by expecting the world to provide you things. The only way you fill yourself up is to provide to others. The only way you heal is to cure others. Because that signals to your entire system that you have an excess of strength and resources. And then your whole system says, I guess it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Whereas if you're like, I'm so empty, I've got right? Grow food, feed others. You'll never want for anything. Relentlessly provide value in every circumstance. Did you ever, in a lineup, did you ever have someone ahead of you be kind of mean to the cashier or the sales clerk or whatever? And then you go up and what do you say? You say, oh, that was rude. I'm so sorry. Like that, that was really rude. I, I, I wish the guy hadn't done that, right? If there's someone who has to enforce the mask mandate, do you say, oh, man, that must suck all day just yelling at people to put their masks on? Because it does, I hope, <laughs> right? Just give yourself that mission. I want everyone who interacts with me to have been happy that they interact with me. That's all. Just try that for a day. See how you feel. Try that for a week. See how you feel. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. All right. Do one or two more questions. Boy, I tell you, this time flies. You guys are fantastic in terms of brain stimulus. You guys are fantastic in terms of brain stimulus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, hey, Steph, you mentioned you don't have fear in your relationship. Can you say more? Does that mean you don't feel fear? You didn't feel fear before marriage? Oh, no. No, absolutely not. No, I, um, I, I was entirely overjoyed to get married. I never had any doubt it wasn't going to work. It has because she relentlessly provides value to me. And I relentlessly provide value to her. You know, I mean, so much of your day is how you start, right? My wife will generally get up before I do. And I will uh, come down and, oh gosh, what did I say this morning? Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember what I said this morning. So this is just a little window into sort of my life and, and things way outside the show. And I, I, I you know, you don't particularly care about my life, but here's a little thing that, that can help you sort of understand why there's no fear, right? So I, uh, I came down, and uh, she was reading, and I said, well, that's it. That's it. 
I have made a command decision. Now, that's kind of a playful way to start. And she says, what is your command decision? Tell me. And I said, I've decided I am no longer aging. I'm done. I'm done with the aging. I am finished with the aging. It's over for me. <laughs> why, God, why? The old Joey, right? So, of course, my wife, like, smiles. Right? <laughs> okay, where, where's this going? What's he talking about, right? And she says, okay, um, t tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. And I said, you know what? Because, because here's what's been happening, right? So I didn't play tennis for a long time, and my wife wanted to get into tennis. So I taught her some tennis, and then I'm running around like an idiot, right? And I, you know, my muscles hurt, right? Particularly right butt cheek, right? My muscles hurt, right? And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm getting into my 50s, and I'm, I'm, I'm aging, and, you know, whatever, right? When I get one of those massage guns, right? But anyway, what happened was I realized, of course, and I'm thinking there like, okay, well, when was the last time you used your butt muscles, <laughs> like the lungy butt muscles that you use in tennis or squash or whatever, right? So I said to myself, okay, well, maybe I'm, because I was grumbling at myself, like, oh, I can't play tennis the way I used to, and because uh, I used to race all over the tennis court. And I was very athletic as a young man and still fairly athletic. But anyway, so what I did was I figured out some exercises where I could just exercise the living hell out of my butt muscles, right? And it worked. Now I can play tennis and my muscles don't hurt and I can run around, right? So I was just saying, you know, I had this thing, which is I'm getting older and therefore I'm limited. And it turned out I wasn't getting older. I just hadn't played tennis in quite a long time. And so I didn't have those specific muscles. Now, of course, it would have been a little easier if I didn't have those specific muscles when I was younger, but it's not that big a deal. In other words, all I need to do to prevent aging is to recognize that I need to prepare my muscles for what it is that I'm doing. And I need to maintain that, right? Because, you know, I, I spend, uh, you know, two hours a week on the bike machine, and I don't hurt from that, and that can be pretty intense, right? I still mostly do the same workout I did when I was 20, I'm okay with that because my muscles are prepared for it. They're ready for it, right? So I said, that's it. I'm, I'm not even thinking of aging anymore. I'm done with it. I'm done with this whole aging nonsense. <laughs> I'm not thinking like, oh, it's because I'm aging. It's like, no, I just didn't prepare my body. It's my fault. It's not the age. Anyway, so it's just kind of like an energetic and fun way to start the day. And, and that makes her happy that I'm coming downstairs because she gets something engaging and enjoyable to chat about, Right? relentlessly provide value, make people happy that you're in the room, make people happy that you're coming downstairs, make people happy that you got, they got you as a customer, whatever, right? So I don't know. I mean, maybe in Starbucks, when you say, I don't have the stuff that goes in your lemonade, people are like, oh, I was really looking forward to that, right? And you have this negative thing as opposed to me like, ah, just crumble in a K-pop, we'll call it even, right? I mean, just make it positive, that people are in your presence. Make it positive for them. I promise you, it will come back in ways that you can't even imagine at the moment. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have it. It doesn't mean I don't feel fear. Like, I'm not Scott Adams. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't mean I don't feel fear in life as a whole from time to time based upon particular circumstances. But, no, not, uh, not, not fear of marriage. Uh, any tips on how to broach an honest conversation with parents that deny my observations and don't ask questions? Thank you. You can lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. You can tell people the truth as you see it. You can't make them listen. You can't make them respond. 
it doesn't mean, of course, that there should be no consequences to them not responding. You can make your decisions about the quality of the relationship based upon the question of whether or not they want to listen to you, right? If they don't want to listen to you, I think that should mean something as far as that goes. But, you know, even the gods cannot deny this basic rule, take what you want and then pay for it. And if your parents don't want to listen to you, and it's consequence-free, that's not a good thing. All right, should we throw out some lemons? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's throw out a whole bunch. 5,000. Because I love you guys for coming on this journey with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, what have we got here? A couple more cues. I kept thinking once I moved out, all the crazy would go away. But that reality is shattered, yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, Muslims really hate communism. Well, I mean, good Lord. I mean, could you, could you see? They see what's happening to America. My God. Gold is down like 10% this year, go Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. The Islamic world did a pretty decent job of preserving knowledge when the Roman Empire fell. Yeah, for sure. Stefan, why are so many liberals mentally ill? Almost everyone I know who is a liberal has a bad relationship with their family. So, uh, freedomain.locals.com, uh, I've got a whole why people don't listen thing, which is very much about this. So, you can check that out. Uh, channel is definitely growing. When you first got booted from YouTube, I would ask so many questions, you would actually see them. <laughs> well, it's not really growing, but I hear what you say. It's a solid jazz club show. But I do know a tall woman. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm healthy, right? Uh, let's see here. There is another place Steph is getting questions from. Uh, most of the questions are coming from DLive. The key that opens every lock is a master key. The lock that opens to any key is a slot. <laughs> Obvious troll like Elon Musk. Yeah, Dogecoin. No, Bitcoin just needs to be cheaper, faster, and environmentally friendly and give you a handjob. I guess I kept getting one-itis as a teenage boy. I guess I cut across a stereotype. Yeah, so the one-itis is that there's only one person for me, and that's designed to be case-selected and preserve the pair bonding, right? Stefan only gets boners from philosophy. Cannot confirm. Tattoos are bad for your immune system. At least piercing can be removed. You cannot remove the toxins from tats ever. Yeah, I had a conversation some time back ago about... A friend of mine's daughter, who's a teenager, was asking, how can I get a friend to stop getting a tattoo? And I mean, I was telling him the story of a guy I knew when I was in my early 20s, a guy I knew who'd had a pretty rough, punky kind of teenage year, was getting his tattoos removed. And my God, it was agony. Oh, my God. Birds don't get fat because they have to fly. Yeah, like fish don't get fat because they eat fish. I uh, really love dream analysis stuff from you, Steph. I called into your show with a dream years ago and still often think on what you said. Yeah, I miss those dream analyses, but they're tough to get a hold of these days. Uh, Steph, I'm currently working on breaking some bad habits. Are you working on any bad habits of your own? If so, how's it going? Oh, let's talk about that another time. That's a long one. Do you ever see yourself touring again or has the world become so ho too hostile? Well, not the world as a whole, right? No, I mean, I was able to tour very easily and happily. In um, I was able to have social gatherings in Poland. I was able to have social gatherings and get-togethers in Hong Kong. Uh, there are definitely places, but they tend to be places 
very much opposed to communism, usually because of a brutal experience or near misses like Hong Kong had, which is less of a near miss these days. So there'll be places, but um, not uh, don't don't confuse the West for the world. Don't confuse the decaying orbit for the solar system as a whole. Show bobs. <laughs> Please don't take off the shirt. Philosophy is hardcore enough. Why are people so narcissistic at the gym they can't stop taking pictures? Well, it's, um, again, you want to have a healthy body that you exercise. Spending four hours a day in the gym, unless you're a professional athlete like Tom Brady, is a bad idea. But then what happens is the more you pour into looking good, the less value you will have to bring from a personality standpoint. And then you get trapped in that same loop that I talked about earlier with being thin. <sighs> Sorry, I'm a little bit behind here. I'll get there. Mm -hmm. How do I square the circle of having workers who are dysfunctional? Try to become an entrepreneur. Instagram makes people depressed for the reasons you are describing. Oh, yeah, everybody thinks that everyone else is having a ball, and that's all just nonsense, right? And um, see, here's the thing, right? So I became an entrepreneur because I had developed as a habit from a young... Uh, from sort of early teens, this sort of habit of just trying to leave people slightly happier or slightly better for having interacted with me. That, And I, I did that partly, just wanted to be positive in the world. But also, you know, I was a waiter uh, and, and all of that. And, you know, the more that you're liked as a waiter, you can make some more tips. And I ended up making enough tips that I, I sort of walked this back in the days where there were no credit cards really or, or bank cards or anything. And so everybody would pay with cash and they'd leave you tips with, with coins and, and all of that. And I had this... Uh, apron right like waiters have and i would just like walk around with these like you know 14 pounds of chains i uh, change i sounded like a uh, a guy suiting up for a fight with chainmail armor just just walking around with all this change it was pretty funny people nowadays are far more obsessed with their image yeah for sure for sure my instagram fiend shows everyone is beautiful rich and not doing a lot of work well this is the kardashian curse right the kardashian curse is uh, be good-looking trash, make a fortune. And it is, I don't know if they're surfing the downward trend of IQ in society or in part creating it, but yeah, it's sheer hyper-feminized absolute trash. I mean, I'm sure that they're smart people as a whole, but, and I mean, obviously uh, Kim Kardashian has the kind of figure that you know a 13 year old boy uh, in full hormone flesh would draw in his wildest fantasies and all of that and she works at it and i get all of that but what did she fail her baby bar exam even worse the second time than the first and she's got four failed marriages i mean the woman's life is a nightmare she can't smile because it'll give her wrinkles she can't keep a man she can't maintain a relationship she just shows her butt and drives people away with her personality like i mean that is terrible it's terrible. I think her parents had a fairly... St oh, no, she's a kid of divorce and, and affairs. And, oh, my God, yeah. Didn't one of the well, Didn't one of her father's kids turn out to be from another... Anyway, I can't remember. But, yeah, so this is uh, just, just looking good, right? I mean, Billy Crystal used to mock this, you know. It is, it is better to, uh, to look good than to feel good, right? I mean, just looking good, the appearance thing and all of that. 
it's a complete nightmare. You lift up most of the pretty people's lives and it's a nightmare. The, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but the number of hot women that I've met who have weird health issues, <laughs> really legion. It really is legion. And I don't know if their bodies are full un, in full unconscious revolt because of the manipulation and the vanity. You didn't earn your genetics. You didn't earn your gender. You didn't earn the fact that there are male hormones. And just milking all of this stuff is really, really sad. So I can't stand friends constantly taking the same pictures of their muscles. Like, you're not special. Well, sure. But, I mean, so a woman with full-on battleship tits out full display. Like, my eyes are up here, but the cleavage is, uh, your tits are on time, but you were five minutes late. So a woman who puts on that full sexual display, the makeup, the, the, the curvy uh, dress, uh, the body-hugging dresses and all that kind of stuff, that's all there to distract you from her personality. That's all, I mean, my wife looks fantastic. And when I first met her, she was like in a, she called it the tent, right? Because she was just, tired of guys being interested in her because of her attractiveness and so she was dressed like sweatpants in a tent right and your hair up and you know <laughs> couldn't 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 see <laughs> couldn't it's like a burka basically and so you have to actually get to know the person and, and I found her completely delightful from the very first conversation that we had so yeah you get distracted by you get distracted by the physicality, and the physicality is there to distract you from the deficiencies in the personality. And therefore, a woman who you ask out and pursue because of her looks will hate you. Because the looks are there to... I'm not saying everyone who's attractive is a, is a nasty person. I'm not saying anything like that. But I'm saying when it's overt, when it's like in your face, when the guy's like got to turn sideways to get through the door because he's muscle-bound and you, you put a Band-Aid on his back and he can't get it off because he's too muscle-bound or whatever, right? Or the woman's some Barbie, curvy, balloon-boobed cliche of silicon human hybridness. Okay, but that's excessive, right? It's way too much. And all of that is to distract you from the... Lack of personality, right? The lack of personal value. And so, given that the excess beauty marks a deficiency in personality, the woman knows that you don't like her. She knows you're not going to like her, so she puts her tits up, right? She knows you're not going to like her. And so when you pursue her for her tits and ass, she knows you don't like her. And she hates you for falling for this bullshit, while at the same time she remains addicted to it. Right? So, all right. I'm very concerned about Western civilization long term. <laughs> What's that old joke? Somebody asked Gandhi, what do you think of Western civilization? He says, I think it would be a very good idea. We don't, we don't have societies anymore. We don't have a civilization. We don't. We have... Uh, tax cages. We have uh, semi-totalitarian authority bots run by Karens with bad hairdos, right? So we don't, we don't have, we have very little is left that is organic in society. It's all ordered around and controlled, particularly post-COVID, right? Not that we're post-COVID yet, but no, we, we don't have a civilization. We don't have a society. We have endless regulations, endless taxation, massive debt, bribery, control, manipulation, lies, programming from the media, we have almost nothing left that's just spontaneous and organic because whatever is spontaneous and organic gets crushed like the heel of 
Godzilla on a cartoon Bambi. We have almost nothing left that is organic and natural and spontaneously and voluntarily formed within society. When you think of all of the people who are constantly monitoring what's going on in politics, this bad thing is happening in politics, none of that is spontaneous or organic. None of it. It's all just watching the machinery of control and trying to affect and control the machinery of control. And if all of you are doing is dodging bullets, you're not dancing. You're not spontaneous or natural or organic. There's almost nothing left in our society that is natural, normal, voluntary. So, yeah, Western civilization, <laughs> it was a good idea for a while, but we'll have to figure out something better. All right. Let's see, we're getting two hours? Yeah, we're two hours. I got your email about being frustrated with people not following logic, evidence, and reason, and I totally agree. I appreciate that. I'm not saying I'm totally frustrated because you, you have to accept the reality of the way the world is. It's like getting frustrated by gravity, right? I mean, just is the way that the world is at the moment. So, yeah, uh, freedomain.com forward slash newsletter if you want to get my newsletter. Men want to spread their seed and have variety. Monogamy is more out of necessity. Most men. No, come on. That's nonsense. Yeah, some men do. Our selected men do. K-selected men don't. So you're just telling me the men you know in your life. You're not telling me anything about men as a whole. Um, I'm the person who asked this question. Thank you so much for the advice. 100% agree with you. Oh, I'm so glad. You helped me so much by being honest. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. K-selected men want to invest more in fewer children they know are theirs. Yeah, like a civilization, a high IQ civilization, advanced civilization, there's just going to be fewer kids because it takes a lot more investment to raise those kids, right? If you have a civilization where the kids are just brutalized and ordered around and controlled, then there's really not much parental investment in them. You can have tons of those kids and you just bully them all into a line and terrify them. But if you have kids, you want to teach them to be free thinkers and, and, and reason things out for themselves and challenge them and have them challenge you. And by the way, if you don't frighten your children, they will teach you a lot about yourself through their good humor and, and good jokes when they get older. But yeah, so any advice on how to appear less creepy? So when you get into the habit of providing value to people, I was able to become an entrepreneur because in my early teens, I just made that decision that I was just going to really work to have people benefit from interacting with me, right? Just you're, you're going to be as much as I can have this happen. You're going to be better off and slightly happier and have a slightly better day or maybe a much better day because you interacted with me. Right. If I if I hear someone like I don't know, if I talk to someone from Australia, I might try and imitate their accent or whatever. Did I get that right? Or throw in a, a phrase from their language and did I get that right? And just little things, right? Just things that you can joke about. So if you have as your general habit trying to make people's lives better, you just approach the world from what you can add to it. And that's a good thing as a whole. That's a good thing as a whole. I remember being in a lineup for a um, a ride at some fair and there was a black woman ahead of me and she looked at me very suspiciously. I mean, maybe she'd been told how bad white people were or whatever, right? And I gave her a big smile and I, we chatted about her kids and, and all of that. And, and you know, it's not like I'm going to cure 
anti-white racism with one conversation, but I hope that that's something, a little piece of evidence to the country and so on, because she had the cutest kids, and, and, you know, it's just a real delight talking about it and uh, all of that, and, and how challenging it is when you're an adult and your kids want to do all these crazy rides and go corkscrewing through the sky, and you're like, mm, not my thing so much, right? And so we were just, you know, joking about it, and it was really, at the end of it, she had a big smile, and just little things, just wherever you can, just a little positive thing in the world, and that way, if you come and approach a woman, it's not like you're completely changing course. Like you just, hey, I wonder if I can make her life better. Hey, I wonder if, wonder if I can just ask her out in a way that's funny, right? Like when I was talking earlier about the woman, I said, hey, you're eating alone. I'm eating alone. Why don't we just eat alone together, right? These are just kind of silly little jokes that I will make fairly continually wherever I interact with people. And it's not like some compulsive thing, but, you know, if the thought strikes, I'll just share it or whatever. So I wasn't creepy to her because I just do this all the time. So don't have some big exception for when you want to ask a woman out. Just be positive and, you know, I, I can try and make a woman uh, who's 80, you know, I'm not going to ask her out, but, you know, I can make her life. If I can bring a smile to her face or make something positive occur for her, um, fantastic, fantastic. And sometimes the conversations can be uh, serious, right? Like, uh, you know, the woman who torn her, her Achilles tendon, that was serious stuff, right? I was making jokes about it, but just a little bit of care and concern in the world so people don't feel so alone and isolated or whatever it is, right? So if you want to appear less creepy, just have as a general position I'm going to make this person's life better. Like, if you go for a job interview, don't your mindset shouldn't be, I, I really need this job. I hope I get this job. I hope they give me this job. No. No. A thousand times no. I'll tell you exactly what your mindset is to get that job. And I've almost never gone for a job interview where I didn't get the job. Why? Because your goal in a job interview is to have the person interviewing you enjoy the interview. That's it, man. That's your job. Your job in the job interview is have the interviewer enjoy the conversation. Have the interviewer enjoy the conversation. <laughs> I'll tell you one other silly example. And it can really pay off, right? So many years ago, I went to oh, Guatemala. Right? I went to in Mexico, Belize, and Guatemala. And I had some problem with some visa, some going in and out of the country stamp, and I'd overstayed something or whatever. And they, they put me in this room. And it was a small room. It had a table and two plastic chairs, nothing on the walls, dingy white. And I was sitting there for like half an hour. Now, of course, that's a mildly alarming, if not somewhat alarming situation, right? I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't speak Spanish or whatever, right? And it turned out that the reason they needed to wait, they needed to find somebody who spoke fluent English, right? So a woman comes in, looks kind of fierce, sits down, and I gave her a big smile and I say, you know, I can't say I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> now, that's a, that's a little risky, right? That's a tiny little bit risky because it could seem like I'm making fun of the situation or whatever it is, right? But... That moment where you just, you know, this is like a completely empty, bare white room with no, no furniture. I can't say I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> I'd like to, but I can't. Anyway, so she looked at me and then she just laughed, right? And the word gringo was, I think, mentioned, or whatever it was. Anyway, so, you know, she extended my visa and whatever it was. And I went on my merry way and, and had a great trip and all of that. So 
how how many times and look i'm not saying you got to pull some ridiculous statement like that out of your ass or anything like that but can you find some way to make everyone's life a little better that you are interacting with is there any way any way and you get into that habit entrepreneurial stuff will be easy People will want to hire you. Women will want to go out with you. Men will want to go out with you if you ask them because that's just your way in the world, right? You guys, you and I spent two hours together. I really, really hope and I'm working very, very hard to make these two hours a plus for you. There's something of value. There's something that's useful. There's something positive. That's my challenge. That's what I want to do. It's not selfless. I'm not hating it. It's like, but that's my, make that challenge for yourself and you will just be amazed at all of the crazy stuff that opens up in your life because it's rare and and it spreads right i hope that i hope that you understand this right all right i think we should close down should we close down all right i think i think we should right don't don't give too much value right so no but it's important you got kids how can you give value to your children how can you most enjoy them spending time with you? How can they most enjoy spending time with you? Your wife, how can you give, bring value to your wife? How can you make her happy? How can you become irreplaceable to people, right? It's really, really important. And just try that. It was amazing how much it will change your mindset and change what's available to you in the world. And thank you so much for the person who came up with that first uh, question. That was very helpful. Somebody says, I'm going to try and practice this. Be more social with people and nicer to support stuff. I'm terrible with phone support, but I will change. Yeah, just give it a try. You know, if somebody comes in with some uh, some thick Pajit accent, it's like, hey, is it raining where you are? Is it monsoon season? How's your day going? You know, anything, anything. Because here's the thing too. I mean, look, I don't do it for this, but if someone likes you or is enjoying interacting with you, they will more, they're much more likely to actually try and help you. Whereas if you're like, right, and they want to just get off the phone and you actually won't get what you want. Won't get what you want. Uh, what did you think of the TV series Lost? Well, they lost the plot. I mean, I think that it was clever. I like the fact that they had these philosophers, and it was very interesting that mysticism was strenuously attacked in that show uh, early on, and it just went completely haywire because they had no idea what they were doing later on. Um, Stefan invokes emergency command override 147A to stop aging. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting, right? Very interesting. Uh, how much can you bench press, Steph? So I don't, like, I don't have any, like, my wife weighs uh, about a buck ten, right? My wife weighs 112 pounds. My daughter weighs 100 pounds or whatever. Nobody's going to be able to spot me. And uh, so any of that, I, so gosh, when I go to the bench machine, I'm on 13 or 12 or 13 or something like that. So it's not a massive amount. I'm not trying to bulk up. I'm trying to maintain muscle mass. Uh, the only time I bulked up was when I played Macbeth because I figured he was a warrior. So he needed to bulge out of his, you know, I had my neck up to my ears back then, right? So, uh, but no, I'm not a massive bench presser. Maybe, I don't know. I, I couldn't even, whatever 12 or 13 is. <laughs> I don't know if that's kilograms. Whatever it is, 110 kilograms, 120 kilograms, something like that. Uh, why are we more afraid of aging than of death? Uh, I'm afraid you'll have to speak for yourself there, but obviously death, we don't have anything to worry about afterwards, right? Your problems are over. Or if Jesus is right, they might just be beginning. Will you do a call-in tonight? Uh, no, I guess we had enough great questions, so. 
Everyday anarchy addendum, everyday altruism. Yeah, maybe you should write more about this. I was just thinking about. I was just talking about. <clears throat> I was just talking about this with my daughter. That um, just make make people's lives better for being in your presence, and you will want for nothing in life. Uh, Steph, how can you be so positive and yet so negative towards the masses at the same time? Um, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for the people who have unfortunately ended up in a situation where thinking is death to them. So, <coughs> my wife loves the Kardashians. What might my draw from this philosophically? Well, she likes caricatures in the same way that guys like uh, wrestling, right? Like they made up wrestling stuff. Kim Kardashian is pure evil. She works on setting free horrible black criminals that hurt whites. Uh, I don't know much about that stuff. Uh, let's see here. Did you ever sniff coke off a tit? No, I can never get those little birds to stop moving. Sorry. All right. I think we are... Uh... Sounds like improv class can pay off big time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's kind of like your old studio. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But see, the only the only thing that was done with the place was me, and I didn't want the backgrounds to be distracting or whatever, right? So... If somebody says, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah, that's really, really important, right? That's J.J. Abrams for you. Take a good premise and drive it directly into the ground for lack of planning. Oh, you could see them pulling that out like like taffy, right? Just he's like some guy with an exercise elastic, right? Just purchased a book, Art of the Argument. Good. Well, I hope that you'll leave a review, and the book reviews are very positive. So, all right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. See, provide value, ask for value. It's perfectly rational and sensible and healthy. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Thanks, everyone, so much. Um, I haven't released a huge number of shows lately. I've got some stuff in the can, but a lot of stuff is going to freedomain.locals.com, so I hope that you will check that out. You can also, if you want to sign up, fantastic. Uh, you can get 12 months for the price of 10. It's very, very helpful for me, and I really, really appreciate that so much have yourselves a wonderful evening uh, my friends and i hope that you're doing better uh, you and i talked just privately about what happened in your life recently and i'm as uh, an acquaintance of mine so i'm sorry for what happened and i hope you're doing well just wanted to mention that i hadn't forgotten it yeah thanks everyone so much lots of love from up here i really really appreciate your time your attention your care your concern and your support so mwah, lots of love take care have a great night bye